Here we go, episode 20 of the Hibs Ramble. We're back. We're all together for the very, 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 very first time. You've got the originals, me and Liam. You've got the the shirt collector, Sean. And we've got the magnificent looking Mark. Mark, how are you doing? I'm grand, mate. I'm grand. I'm loving these intros, by the way. That's two <laughs> lovely intros I've had. <laughs> uh, well, do you know what? They're only going to get better and better because this week we've got a bumper pod for you. We've got Dicked by the dandies and scalped after staggies. Um, no, not great sort of way for the four of us to to come together as one. Um, Liam, seeing as you and Mark, oh no, sorry, you were the only one that was at both. Um, how can you, in a short phrase, how much Hibs really do not only ruin your weekend but ruin your week as well? Well, they never ruined my weekend because I had a quality night out on Friday. <laughs> it, was, it was it was well good. It was I mean from half past seven until full time, it wasn't great. And then right after that, it was all right. Me and Mark went to club tea, had a wee dance, had a wee boogie. It was good. But aye, they helped ruin my week. They helped ruin my week to be honest. They always ruin your week. Um, Mark, what was your Take on. I know we've said we're not going to go into Pataudry too much, but um, I think given the fact that we also lost the game last night, it's interesting. We need to try and pick the bones out of where we're going wrong. Um, my take on it was I watched it in the house, right? And my analogy about the game is that if you had fallen asleep in the 44th minute and you had woken up at full time and you'd have asked somebody, oh, I fell asleep during the Hibs game, what was the final score? Absolutely nobody, and I mean nobody, would have said 4-1 to Aberdeen. Um, do you feel the same as that, having been actually at the game, given the absolutely shite views that you get for the arse end of Putaudry Stadium? I think that Aberdeen played us to perfection, if I'm being honest. And I don't think that's difficult, which is a criticism of Hibs, but I think they played us to perfection. They allowed us to have the ball. We had vast majority of possession in the first half and we were the better team there's no doubt about it but they sat back and every single time they hit us on the counter I thought this is going to be a goal every single time and I think they did score a couple of counter attacks they scored for a set piece which is a weakness I don't think it was a 4-1 game but at the same time I think Aberdeen just played us exactly how every team seems to be playing us now let us have the ball let us play along the middle of the park but as soon as we hit them on the counter they're vulnerable and that's what killed us against Aberdeen no, you're right. Um, Sean, the two major talking points, as well, one major talking point was the penalty um, for Aberdeen. And then also, I'm interested to get your two's take on it as well, because I felt when you see the way they've drawn the lines that Miko was offside for our goal. I, it's, yeah, I didn't act. When I saw, when for our goal, when I initially saw it, I thought, oh, he's going to be offside, maybe because of the, maybe Melkerson's touched it or, or whatever, and he did look offside, but then when you see the replay on Hibs TV, I was like, oh, there's there's not going to be any issue there. My concern was obviously if the deflection or the touch was meant and what the ruling is between that. But as soon as I saw kind of the, the, re, the replay, straight away I was like, well, this is going to count. Um, and on commentary as well. I don't know if you remember, they were very, oh, it's going to be going to be called off, it's, it's not going to count, blah, 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 whatever. But they hadn't taken into consideration, obviously, the, the bounce back and the deflection. 
What about the penalty? It's dreadful. It's honestly, um, I think I, I don't know if I mentioned it in the chat or if I tweeted about it at the time, um, but it's especially because there's VAR, it is genuinely one of the most baffling decisions in my eyes. I, I don't get how VAR is meant to be there for a clear and obvious error. Um, if you're spending upwards of three to five minutes looking at one angle and still images, which is what the referee's seen, he's going to find an issue. Um, it's not a clear and obvious error, so therefore he shouldn't need to go to the monitor in the first place. It would only be a clear and obvious error if Marshall had wiped him out, like completely went right through him and, and took his standing leg away or something like that. But Duke kicks the the ball out of play and he over kicks it as well, which I think doesn't get taken into consideration enough when penalties are involved. Um, and you can see even from the still and the one replay that his, his left leg is already dragging along the ground and then his right leg does like a little, like a, like a, like a pounce, like a little dive. And then he just makes the most of it from there. Marshall doesn't actually touch him until he's already on the ground. And then he catches him at the end. Does anybody blame Marshall at all? Because I, I, I don't. I think Duke was already going down. But do you not think that by Marshall coming out the way that he did makes the ref gives the ref a decision to make? Mm, nah, Given because think back to where it is, Marshall doesn't need to be where he was. I know, but with VAR, you'd think that that you would be covered. You know, if you do make, you know, like if you do get the ball, or you do, or you don't make a foul. You know, I think that gives the the goalies a little bit more leeway as to what they can really do. But I'm in total agreement with you, Sean. I think Duke. I I don't want to say it's a dive because it's maybe not a dive. He's maybe not trying to con the ref. But I do think that there's. It's, I don't think it's a penalty. Plus, he wasn't getting the ball anyway. Even if Marshall wasn't there, his touch was far too heavy. It was going to go up before he would have got to it. My concern was as soon as it went to VAR, that's when I started to be concerned. Because as soon as the ref goes over to check his monitor, you know, like the ref. Oh, yeah. Even before that, the, he's having a conversation with the, the man on VAR, whoever that was at the time, for a good at, at least three minutes, minimum three minutes. They're having a conversation, and they shouldn't need to have a conversation about anything that long if it's clear and obvious, which is what the main reason for VAR is. The irony is as well that without VAR, we would have had a free kick and Duke would have got booked. Yeah. And well, you need to remember as well, you need to remember that this, when, when the referee's holding his earpiece, listening to whoever's on the wee portaloo watching the screen, you need to remember that that's the decision being made there, that you need to go and watch the screen to find out for yourself. That took up about five minutes, not to make the decision, but to decide whether or not the referee has to go and look at it. That's yeah. mental. If if you think the referee needs to go and look at it because there's a decision to be made, it should be immediate and obvious, clear and obvious. The fact yeah. it's taken five minutes to go and actually look at it, then a further few minutes, how is that clear and obvious? It's absolutely bizarre. I do think there's there's an argument to be made that if, like, should we start setting time limits? So... For a decision like that, like no, how what if the, what if the thing is the thing is if if we were on the other side of that, do you not think that we would argue that we didn't care how long it takes as long as we get the right decision? 
Well, that's they were saying that on Sports Sound last night. They were saying, you know, obviously it's going to take a little bit longer at the start because they're just getting their teeth into VAR. But if it if it takes two minutes, if it takes five minutes, does it matter if the decision is right? You know, if you took five minutes there, and at the end of the at the end of the decision, he ruled for a free kick to Hibbs and a yellow card to Duke, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think, I think there should exactly be a time right. limit. I think there should because a VAR fundamentally is for clear and obvious errors. And if it's a clear and obvious error, it shouldn't be taken that five minutes for to then tell the referee, go and see it for yourself. If it's clear and obvious, it should be almost immediate. You need to go and find out what's going on. You need to go and have a look at it. Then the referee might spend, fair enough. See if the referee, if it takes 30 seconds, then the referee goes up to the screen and then himself takes five minutes, fair enough, because the referee wants to get that right. Yeah. But the fact that it's taken five minutes to then tell the referee you need to go and see, that just makes no sense. I, I think there needs to be, I mean, we've seen it when it came in in the Premier League and the Champions League, like all these, um, you know, the, the things that VAR can get involved with and but can't get involved with, like the whole, there was an argument last night, I think for one of the goals, I think it may have been the first one where Ross County got the corner, but the boy that tried to play the ball was offside. But we they got given the corner anyway and ended up scoring off the passage of play from it. It's where does where does it actually start and stop? For me, it should look at everything, and I mean absolutely everything. Fucking contentious throw-ins, corners, goal kicks, everything, because they all have just as big an impact as a penalty, a red card, or whatever. You'd be there all night. Well, that's that's the thing. Do we want do we want the right? What, you want what? you want the right decision, but. It needs to come at a cost of, of something and, and whether that is a, a stop clock or not. And I think I am a fan of either that or you actually stop the the clock as in the minutes that are played and then you add that all on at stoppage time, which Mark alluded to in the, the other podcast as well. So then that way you're still getting the same amount of game time. But I think the only things where you can't really have a stop clock like that would be the drawing of the lines for... Off, like offside and onside because you want to give the the attacking team what is meant to be the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the drawing of the lines as well um, and the whole phases of play as well the whole phases of play I think can sometimes be difficult and that's that would make it hard to put a time restraint on that um, but again how far back do you go when exactly. it comes to the phases of play but it's not just that it's when the game if something happens and the ref's like, right, play on, play on. And then the other team go up and score. And then it's like, oh no, we now need to pull it back because there's a penalty at the other end. If it was a direct, I came through the back of you, Craig, foul, should be a penalty. And then straight from that, it was a straight counter-attack. I can understand that. But then if there's a wee bit of build-up to it, then that's you're talking two or three different phases of play. And I think it's a case of trying to get that right. But I don't, I think, many, I don't think many leagues have even got that right yet. Because I like the way Australia do it. I like the way they do it. They've got, they have like a the VR whatever, but they're in constant communication with the referee. It's not just decisions. It's constant throughout the ninety minutes. The referee's speaking to them. They're speaking to the referee. Watch it for him. Watch it for that. I like that constant communication. Then it's if there's a decision to be made, the referee's right. What's that about? Go and check it yourself, and they go and check it. I quite like that way, and I've seen some videos and stuff like that, the way they do it, and it seems to work really well. It doesn't ruin the flow of the game, and it gives that referee just that sort of 
they have, been, they have been doing it for a good seven, maybe six, seven years as well. So they have kind of got it down to down to a T on how it needs to work as well. I do yeah. think the additional issue comes from the fact that we're now, so the the guys who are our elite referees supposedly are the ones taking the games. I'm sure I've seen that the guy, the one who was the VAR for us up at Aberdeen, had only ever actually managed as eh, sorry refereed as high as the championship, and it was twice. <laughs> yeah, he's been asked to be effectively the the list the sounding board for the referee in a third versus fourth, but you know quite key game for both sides anyway. And it's not as if it was two of the smaller clubs going for it. You know, you've got two outside of the old firm, two of the biggest clubs in Scotland. So I do. Th- just opens it. It just opens up so many more questions about referees and should they be full time and should we be looking to get refs in for elsewhere but we'll move on from being depressed about that to being depressed about Easter Road last night. Liam what was your thoughts when you seen the team and especially the 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 baffling for me anyway the baffling addition of Dimitri Mitchell. I was very very surprised to see Mitchell in the team considering I mean I can't even remember the last time that he got on the park for Hibs. Was it not like Mark Head for about six minutes? Must have been then. Aye, because he was at fault for one of the goals. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was odd. I don't think that... I mean, Jabri hasn't been great recently, but I don't think that that merits Dimitri Mitchell going in over him, unless Jabri has picked up a knock. I was also confused as to where the fucking hell Kyle McGuinness is. And... But I was, I was, to be honest, on a lighter note, I was happy to see Melkerson starting because I felt he made a difference on Friday. He was obviously a, a vital part of the goal that we scored on Friday, but I was happy to see him starting. I think that um, him being fit is a, is only good for us because I think he brings a different dimension up front, especially with Nisbet still out. Uh, him being fit is like the Switzerland flag. It's a big plus. Um, sure it is. The Mark, we also seen the continued um, number ten slotting in of you and Henderson. Um, what's your thoughts on Henderson overall? Because he's not. <laughs> I think I'm. I think it's well. I'm not his biggest fan. Um, and it seems as if now, especially with that addition, and then even when we go further back down the pitch, do you think Johnson's just trying to fit folk in for the sake of it rather than picking what he feels is his best team. Potentially, yeah. I, to be honest, when Henderson first came in, I thought he was a player. I thought he really was a player. But the, as times went on, I thought he's just too... He's almost one of the players that if CB give him a good kick, you didn't see him for the rest of the game. He gets pushed off the ball quite easily. He's not got the best pace and all that. But I think ultimately at this moment in time, he's so unbelievably low on confidence. It just, you can tell it in his, his body language, his face. Even when he scored the goal against St. and he looked almost relief. It was relief more than anything else. But I think you're right. I think in terms of this, I mean, we've got such, we've got, probably got one of the biggest squads in the SPFL. Don't know that for a fact, but surely we do. And I think that's the problem of having such a massive squad is you do want to get these, especially the egos of a football player. You want to get as many of them in as possible. And I think that's probably Johnson's problem. He doesn't know his best team. And he's just trying to use as many as possible. And that's probably explains why Demi Mitchell started as well. He's probably like, oh, he's fit. Let's just get him in there and see what happens type thing. 
How did they actually play? Because I've not even seen the game. How did they play? They got bad? hooked after 40 yeah. minutes. Did they? The, Johnson said in um, one of his interviews, I think it was the one three match from Hibs, that it was either between him or he said Tavares first. He said him, Tavares, and then he said Jabriah or Stevenson. So he obviously wanted to go for a more attacking threat, but obviously didn't work out. And then instead he put in Tavares on at that point. He's then obviously went for Stevenson, which again... I think Tavares at left wing back probably would have been a mistake. Anyway. Oh, a million percent. Tavares on the pitch would have been a mistake. I thought he was all right when he came right, on. We'll, so get, I'm, we'll get to that. But. Liam, don't, Liam, don't bite. Don't bite. I know I could see you were eager for the chomp there. Don't bite. <laughs> um, I know, just to... Mitchell was poor. Mark, he was really poor. Um, Johnson just, came... Uh, just, sorry, Craig. He just hobbled, he hobbled on, on that point about the this, this squad size. I think that what comes at Johnson's detriment is a lot of that squad... Or bang average. There's no a standout player like, and I mean streaks ahead in two or three positions. Do you know what I mean? If you take our two or three best players out, which at the moment you, you'd struggle to pick based on form, the rest of the squad are all on a, a level playing field and I think that's why he ended up changing formation and I think that's came at the detriment of us as well because to answer your question to Mark, I think he is trying to fit players into a set information to try and get people a run of game time and hope that works and it's not well, it's like you try to fit square pegs and round holes as well Yeah, you know I, mean? I think that's where you see the that particular formation being the 3-5-2 um, it seems to be since Rocky was fit, you know Rocky got fit again that that's, that's the way we're going to go, I mean we've seen it in the past with Hibs teams you know we won the cup playing a 3-5-2 um, Lennon's team was very successful at times playing a 3-5-2 but you do need to have the personnel for that um, and I think if you think back to when we used to play the 3-5-2 very very rarely if ever would Marvin Bartley play when we played the, the three at the back yeah. because it totally negates any balance that you can have in your midfield when you've got a flat three defenders with effectively a more forward defender in front of them and then when you've got full-backs playing as wing-backs, it does, well, in Mitchell's case, he was clearly miles off. I was going to say, Johnson said after the game that he was, um, he's been ill all week. He had a slight calf issue and his missus has just gave birth to a baby. So... Makes the decision to be more baffling. Completely bizarre decision, to put him in. It makes the decision to put him in even more baffling. And that's what Sean just said. <laughs> Aye, I was talking and he's interrupted me. So I was going to say, you said there she gave birth to a baby. I'm glad it was a baby she gave birth to. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a boy To be honest, I think uh, you couldn't uh, tell the difference between Dimitri Mitchell and a newborn baby last night. It probably would have played the same. Uh, it was, um, I think we've seen the, the sort of mid people, obviously, the news filtered through that uh, Kel McGuinness was out again. Um, supposedly a hamstring strain. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but um, starting to get. If it's a strain, more, he won't play on Saturday. More, more erring on the side of what are we wasting our time for? Listen, Kyle McGinnis is a very, very good player. I said this to my dad last night. McGinnis is a very, very good player. I think Dimitri Mitchell is a good player on his day, but. 
if you're only getting, you know, say you only get 10 games between them a season, and neither of them will be on small wages, what is the point? What's the point in having them? Yeah, they're good players, but if you're only getting an impact out of them for 10 games out of the 38, 15 games out of the 38, is there any point in having them? When when did we sign McGuinness? Like, as in, like, was it... COVID season. COVID season. The beginning was the summer. Summer, no, it was the, well, the transfer end. window was open later, wasn't it? So I think it was maybe September, September 20. And yeah. to my memory, he only played well at the beginning of last season before he got injured. Yeah. And I that, think was, he was, a, that out, was a handful of games. He was out for a lot of that COVID season as well, I think. No, he and was coming. Even, even when he, even, I can't think of any period of time where Cal McGuinness has played well other than three or four matches at the beginning of last season, like Motherwell away and the, the beginning of that. After that, I know he's got injuries and stuff. When we signed him, he was coming back off a cruciate at, um, at St Mirren, I believe. Which, when you think of it, makes it even more baffling that we paid such a big fee and give a five-year deal to someone who's toiled with injuries in the past. Um, and I don't think, like you say, Sean, that, that that impact he had at the start of last season, especially in the European games, <clears throat> and then it led into the league games, he was very, very good. Like, very good. And then, aye, the injury happened, and obviously, I'm guessing he's a professional football player, he doesn't want to be injured. But, like you, like you say, Liam, at what point did we just go, is it maybe just worth our while cutting our losses here and seeing if we can get somebody else to take them on? Because you see it with players that can get injured all the time, they go somewhere else and they turn it all right. Like, is it maybe just a change up? Is it maybe, you know, Hibs training methods? Is it the, the grass we use at East Mains? Is it the Astro at East Mains? Like, it could be any one of a number of things, but I'm starting to get quite tired of um, making this. It was like Dodge last season. The longer he was out, the better he got. And then he came back and he was absolutely hopeless. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm erring on the side of there is definitely a player in there, but how long do we have to wait to see it? Ron Gordon's got previous for cutting ties with people at the club if they're not pulling their weight. I just don't really know why we've not done that or pulled the trigger yet on Kyle McGuinness. Um, well, who, what club would want to take him? I know, but we've done, it with, we've done it with plenty of players. Um, one of your favourites as well, Liam. So, um, as well as managers. I think, I know we'll touch on that in a later pod, but I think the January window, we could well see a lot of cutthroat action taking place. Chris Mueller wants to get a a tune at the players. Chris Mueller was just far too good for Scottish football. That's that's why he went back to the MLS. The best bit about that is I know you don't even believe that. (laughs) I absolutely do. No, you don't. Absolutely do. No, you don't. That's a mate. You should tell me you don't know, Bill. Mate, I'll never (laughs) ever forget that goal at Arbroath. I'll never forget. What? Yeah, it was some finish as well. eh? He shook your hand at a, at a Q&A night. Like, that's, that's it. I know, I love him, Mike. <laughs> He's my goal. <laughs> so, the, like I said, I don't really want to talk about the like in, specific instances within the game. Um, I was saying before we came on that from my vantage point in the famous five upper, you can see the areas of space where the players... I don't know if they're avoiding it or if they're scared to do it, but very, very little of our attacks come down the middle. 
a lot of them are heavily concentrated out onto the right hand side and like I've I've defended Cader in the past, but he must have put in between ten to fifteen crosses last night. And each Connected one two of them. Each one of them got worse than the last. The only to, cross I can remember of any quality was Stevenson's when he came on and he was yep. absolutely livid with Melkerson for not throwing himself at the at the ball. And considering the amount of crosses that we overhit, especially in the second half, yeah. it's it's very concerning that we put in between twenty to thirty crosses, and between the four of us, we can only probably agree on one that was that was decent. And Johnson said to Hibs TV after the game that he wants we need to put more crosses in. <laughs> I think a lot, of our, a lot of our, a lot of our phases he play, in particular since we moved to the three five two, is then came from the wider areas, whereas. When we had the the four three three or the two three one, depending on who we were playing, because we had that man in the ten, it allowed our our wingers to cut in a wee bit more, and a, a little bit more of our play came through the middle, especially at the beginning of the season, and and that's when we were at our best as well. We, we saw like Boyle and Yuan cutting in and becoming our second and third striker, and a lot of our play came through the the, the middle three at the time, which is why Josh Campbell was getting a lot of success as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just very frustrating to see that, touching on the previous point, he's he's changing the shape to fit players that are coming back instead of just sticking to what we probably should have stuck with. Yeah. I made a point on the last podcast about how we, what you said about how we cross the ball all the time, and that seems to be the tactic that we, we play under Johnson is we very much a crossing team. And I mentioned last time, the problem that I've got, that's all well and good when you've got Big Mick on the pitch, right? And you can cross in a big six foot five boy. But it's when your sort of Tavares or whoever you've got on the pitch is like below six foot and they still continue to just put balls into the box. For me, that shows that there's no plan B. And there's a lot of good managers out there that their Achilles heel is that they've got no plan B. I think especially in Scottish football, you need to have a plan B when you're coming up against a really horrible side like Ross County. You need to be able to adjust because it's not going to go your way all the time. You're not going to have successful crosses every week. So I think if we're going to improve, fair enough. Like that's if that's his thing, crossing and all that, fair play. But he needs to start bringing in a plan B so that when we take Big Mick off or we take our target man off, we start playing in behind or we start playing through the middle or whatever. We put low crosses and I don't know, but we can't just continue to put balls in the box and hope for the best when it's a five foot six boy on the receiving end of it. Do you think we're doing enough analysis on the opposition? And the only reason I ask that is because, like you said, Mark, right, Aberdeen played us perfectly. Ross County last night played us perfectly. Um, one of their players at centre half couldn't have got a game for us in the championship six years, five, six years ago, seven Who? years ago. Actually. Keith Watson. Oh, was he was he playing last night? He's the captain, mate. Fucking hell, I thought he was long gone, man. So I mean, he was—he was in our—he was—he signed for Hibs at this first season we were in the championship. So you're talking what? That's 2014, eight years ago. Eight years ago, and he's now. You know, Johnson made a point of saying after the game, "Oh, you know, we were schooled by two really good centre halves. One of which, by the way, ended up in the middle of our six-yard box to score their second. But are we doing? Are we? Do, do you think the? the I don't think Johnson, Johnson strikes me as a manager who's very, we're going to play our way and we're going to play very how 
Brendan Rodgers got criticised for playing the way he played in Europe with Celtic. We're going to play our way. We're not going to adapt. That that's that's what he strikes me about. Given given these backroom staff though, especially Adam Owen, who's got like his pedigrees unbelievable. When you look at where he's worked, the roles he's had. I mean, I've uh, I follow him on LinkedIn. I actually would I connect on LinkedIn. I think. Um, and he's constantly putting out like football seminar stuff, football basically and all these stuff that makes the game look so much more complicated than what it actually is. But to me, it seems like we're no we're not doing any analysis on what teams you know the opposition that we're going to play like Ross County. You know they're just going to sit with two banks of four and hit you on the counter. That's what I was thinking because I be, mate, I bet you Ross County will play like that against everyone that they play this season. Every single team, right, and every single system, there's always a way to beat it. Right? There's no football system that's impen like look at um what Pep done for years at Barca and then Bayern and all that, right? The whole ticky tacka stuff. And then Klopp came along with his fucking gig and press, and that was the next thing, and it was bang. Players didn't get time on the ball, they were getting harried everywhere. And then when teams figured out a way to counter that with this whole new mid block, low block fucking cheese block, all this sort of stuff. There is a way to beat every single football system. Like there's, You, you can't go unbeaten. No football team does it. The difficulty is, and the problem that we've got is, we. I would probably say, we are the easiest team in the league to play against. To see if you set up right, if you set up right, if you come in with a shape and you play... You let us have the possession and you hit us on the counter. You've maybe got a wee bit of pace to hit us on the counter. I think we are probably the easiest team to play against. Because you go up against the Ross County, you know it's going to be a tough, tough old game because they're going to sit back and they're going to be big, strong, physical. Obviously, your old firm and all that, they're going to be the toughest. But for us, it's all you have to do is sit back, let us have the ball, let our centre-halves push up and join the attack, then you hit us on the counter and you're, you're going to get a chance and you're probably going to score as well. We've been the most predictable team to play against, I think, at times for a good number of years now. Um, I felt at the start of the season, when you look at you know, the St Johnston result, the Hearts result, the Rangers result, that there was a bit of a, a, bit of a steely resilience growing within that squad. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how many Hibs teams in the past would have just taken a 0-0 away at McDermott Park or, you know, battled like fuck against uh, Hearts till the last minute and still just came up short? And I really felt as if we were... I know the League Cup campaign was a was an absolute horror, but it felt like there was a this team was maybe going to be a bit different. But that they've now went the complete opposite, and that um, don't want to call out names because they're professional football players, and I'm not. But you could you could see a number of them, and this Lewis Stevenson was quite honest in his post match interview as well. He said too many of them went into their shells, and it's no good enough. Like. You didn't want to come across as sexist, but you need to be a man. You need to stand up. You need to you can grab yourself by the balls and go, no, come on, we'll fucking work through this. Show your own inner resilience. But too many of them were just like, nah, do you know what? I don't want the ball. Don't give hey, me the ball. You know what I've seen the last few weeks is the, like you, you talked there about the St. Johnson game, the Hearts game, Rangers game, stuff like that. And it seems to me like they were pulling for each other. They were battling for each other, battling for the manager. And dragging each other through the game. And I didn't see any of that last night. Yeah. Nor on nor on Friday. I didn't see any of that battling for each other. 
it seemed like it was a very everything that they did was laboured. Um, I think at times, especially I mean the last ten fifteen minutes, you know, the last ten minutes, we were battering them, but it still looked like we couldn't really be arsed. It was a it was a really weird. I think the di- the difference between what you're the point you're making, Liam, and, and where we're at now is because I think especially the last couple of games, the last couple of defeats when we went 1-0 down, it's abundantly clear that they don't trust the plan. They don't tr- The players aren't trusting what Johnson's asking them to do. And I think that does come down to a number of factors. Confidence obviously a massive factor. But the, the points that all three of you have made so far, um, my, can, my main concern is when we do go 1-0 down, yes, we are very, very predictable, but I think that's because Johnson keeps it the same. And I just I would love to see what we were doing at the beginning of the season, where when we even when we went one 0 down or we were behind or backs were against the wall, um, or even like the St Johnston game, for example, a lot of the balls instead of just crossing them, I don't know if you've noticed this last night, but a lot of our crosses were getting put in around the edge of the box instead of going to the byline and cutting it back or trying to yeah. find a man or. Whereas at the beginning of the season, a lot of our play stemmed down getting to the byline and cutting it back or quick one-twos on the edge of the box and finding a man making a third run or feeding off the third runner and things like that. And we were finding a lot of space at the edge of the box, whereas the spaces are still at the edge of the box when we're crossing it in, but we're crossing it in too early now as well. And I guess that comes down to the formation and the phases of play that we've been sticking to since we changed the 3-5-2. But I think it does come down to a lot of the players just not really buying into the change that we've made in the last four or five. Basically, since the Celtic game, the changes that we've made since then, I just I don't, don't, I don't think get it, though. To that. It's that, but that's the thing, that. it's three managers now. That That's three managers, and if, if, it, if that's right and that they're not buying into Lee Johnson's system, that's he'll be the third manager that they've done the same to. Ultimately, they've, they've thrown the managers under the bus. I think um, they bang into it when things are going well, like when it's nil-nil and like the first half at Aberdeen. Yes, it would have been frustrating for them, but we were constantly getting in behind. We were pressing their their fullbacks right into their own half. Their fine, their, their what was our final third, and we were getting a lot of success. Yes, we weren't getting clear-cut chances, but there was a lot of the the ball and the, a lot of the heavy possession was coming from us. Same with Saint Mirren at home. Like uh, the, the the phases of play that we've done in those two games in comparison were the same. The first half away at Aberdeen and pretty much the full 90 minutes at, against St Mirren. But it's as soon as we don't get that break or we don't get that penalty or we don't get that red card against us or whatever it could be, mentally I think it's draining for the players and it takes a lot out of them, especially when it doesn't or it isn't successful. But Mark, the, you're saying there, sorry mate, you're sorry. saying there with three managers... Three managers that the same group of players haven't bought into. So the manager, the three manager, uh, Maloney and Ross are sacked, but it's the same players that are playing for these three managers. So when do the players need to step up, take responsibility? The fact that you know this might be. I mean, and I'm in no way saying Lee Johnson out or anything like that. But I mean, everyone's seen the meltdown that's happened on social media about Lee Johnson and Ron Gordon and all the rest of it. And you can, what what Hibs are like nowadays, you know, when there's a lot of pressure, then, you know, the board are more likely to make a knee-jerk decision than not to make a knee-jerk decision. 
So if Lee Johnson does get chased out, then is it Lee Johnson's fault? Is it the players' fault? We signed 15 players in the summer, right? 15 players. And off the top of my head, two of them started last night. Exactly. And the definition of insanity is... I'm not counting Marshall because Marshall's already said that deal was in the works when Maloney was was in charge. So for me, Marshall doesn't count. The two are Kenna and Miko. The rest of them, Melkerson, January, Mitchell, January, Newell, fucking Hecky, like, that... Miko was transfer deadline day, day as well, and no one knew who he was, so we've got, yeah. dare I say, a bit lucky with that one. Yeah. I and think he was coming for backup, really, wasn't he? Well, if Nisbet was fit, he wouldn't be playing. Do you the, know definition I mean? for me, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing um, and expecting a different outcome, right? For me, we were talking earlier about McGuinness and his injury, and when do we cut the cord? When do we when do we cut the cord? When do we cut the cord to players that play well once every five to ten games? And I'm not going to say any players because listen, I, I'm not going to criticise professional football players, but when do we make that decision? Like I said, that's three managers, right? And let's just say worst comes to worst, and we're going into meltdown here. Lee Johnson gets chased at the door. We have to get a new manager in. When do we make the decision that actually? Maybe it's the core group of players that are only working. Because let's face it, it's the same core group of players that are that were on the pitch on Tuesday and Friday that were there last season as well, that just about got us into a relegation fight. And so, the same core that finished third. Aye. But w- when do we start, you know, thinking, right, maybe one in five good games, one good game in five, isn't he, isn't he quite right? Isn't he good enough? When do we cut that cord? Talking about McGuinness, when do we cut that one? But I do. I think... I think most people listening to this will know exactly who you're referring to, Mark. Um, one thing I did want to ask about, because Sean, were you saying about the players no trust in the process, no buying into the manager? Did any of you think that the whole saga around Porteous's contract is now starting to have an effect, not only on Ryan himself, but the dressing room? Because that Porteous, we spoke about before we came on in terms of how Paul seems a bit, eh, not Paul, eh, how Ryan seems a bit more aggressive, but not in a like an assertive way, more in like a Bullying. shoutish type of way. Bullying. <laughs> That's your worst <laughs> number. Um, we Milkerson going to have to go to HR. <laughs> do we, again, do we need to, do Hibs need to go to Ryan and go, look, we've put a contract on the table. And if you, if you believe what is said, um, through the grapevine he's been offered a deal to make us one of if not the highest paid player at the club and it'll be one of the highest wages we've ever paid listen Ryan's not a daft wee boy he I, I don't think he would do anything to deliberately upset the dressing room to deliberately well, no, I'm not saying it has but the, the uncertainty around it the when you look at it in the, in, the pay, in the papers in the last couple of weeks Johnson's been talking about it more and more Ryan was at um Edinburgh Park launching some uh, paddle ball initiative with Craig Alcott and he was asked about it there so it's now went for the manager speaking about it to Porches himself directly speaking about it do you not think it's just like a complaint like a note it's just distracting like I think and so. when, you, when you look at his performances especially since he got his Scotland cap like I'm baffled he's been called into Scotland squad again he's on a um, downward trajectory unfortunately and has been since the beginning of the season which is a shame because I've like I, 
I was going to away games when he was two or three rows in front of me, like at Dundee United away and stuff like that. So to see the trajectory that he has been on, to now see Kenny where he's at, he obviously is one of our star players and potentially on his day can be one of the best centre-halves in Scotland. I think it is, when our contract negotiations are going on, I think they can be distracting for the squad as well as the individual. Um, I can't remember when I heard... It. I don't know if it was from him directly or the manager or whoever, but I heard that it, it, it was going to get resolved during the break. He said that he was going to look at it again. So, uh, um, so I, think, I think between now and starting back, or before the end of the January transfer window, I think it needs to be resolved sooner rather than later before it has, if it isn't already, and I'm not saying it is, and neither are you, Craig, potentially a detrimental impact on the squad or even Ryan's performances. I feel like as well, I mean... Porteous isn't going to be wanting to play like this because then who's going to want to take him on in January? Who's going to <clears throat> take that because he's not going to go, sorry, he's not going to go anywhere else in in Scotland, is he? So he's going to need to go down south. Or but realistically, he might do we want to pay one of the highest salaries ever for somebody who's been performing the way he has the last few weeks? But and you could argue it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been, you can get the players in there though for, for Porto. You can that we've got a player there who's very, very good. I think that it's definitely weighing down on his mind. It's definitely affecting his performances. And I think then he's probably thinking about it even more. And then he's getting more stressed about it, more anxious about it, and it's making him play worse even then. You know what I mean? Right. A couple of quick ones before we move on to the questions. Um, Just a yes or no or if you want to, I'll say add a, a short statement, Sean. A short statement like, is usually four, five, maybe six words. One sentence, Max. All sentence, not a fucking half-page Bible <laughs> the Harry Potter books. Um, Liam, do you, one, just answer, Johnson, stay or go? Stay. Mark, stay or go? Absolutely, 100% stay. Yeah, you heard me in the first half. I know that. Sean, stay or go? Uh, stay, hundred percent. We're all in agreement for that. But Liam, do you think that just based on what Sean was saying about the process, and there's been rumours of discontent in the dressing room, finger pointing Johnson. I think we've all liked he's been incredibly honest when he's spoken to the press, whether it's the in-house club media or the broadcast media. Finger pointing the players haven't done this, the players haven't done that. There's been players sniping back. Well. Instead of blaming us, blame yourself. You know, you're not doing it in the right way. Do you think we seen scenes last night that, personally, last night was the first night I was concerned for Johnson. Not because I want him to go, but because I feel like these players are not, like you said, the first few weeks they were for each other. Last night seemed the complete opposite. Yeah, no, I think I agree. I, I can't really see an awful lot of Lee Johnson from where I sit. Like, my views kind of impeded by the away dugout. But, um, you know, I usually see him right out on the touchline, uh, you know, giving orders, barking orders and stuff. But I didn't see an awful lot of him last night. And I also felt that around me there was a lot of discontent within the support directed at Lee Johnson, which I felt was harsh, um, given that, you know, this is, I mean, I can five defeats in six or six defeats in seven, whatever it is, isn't he good enough for a club of our size? But... You know, you need to use some common sense. But to answer your question about the players, yeah, it didn't look to me as if they were fighting for him. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they've downed tools and they've given up on him. 
it might have just been because you know it was a bit deflating to go down one nil just before the break, having had so much of the ball again. But uh, no, I, I, it didn't look like they were fighting for him, but I still think that they will pull together and play for him. Yeah, same with you, Mark. Do you agree with that? Considering I asked for a short answer. I just think football's a funny <laughs> old game, isn't it? We we won four on the spin or whatever it was, three or four on the spin, and we all thought Lee Johnson was like the homecoming of Jurgen Klopp, and we thought we've got the best team on planet Earth. We've lost five out of six now, and it's we're sad, we're upset, you know, we're we're angry, and now it's all of a sudden we're talking about Lee Johnson out. Football, it's a cliche, but it's a fickle game. I think the problem that Hibs fans have got is the alert, the alarm bells go far too soon. What is what is getting rid of Lee Johnson going to achieve? And what are we going to do? Bring in Neil Lennon? No, bring in Neil Lennon. Shut up. Do not this is what tell I put, me to bring in Neil Lennon. Yeah. This is what I put on the Twitter. I put up, listen, the, the Johnson out calls are absolutely ridiculous. Football is based on stability. If we sack another manager six months into their, into their regime, then you know all that's going to do is keep the cycle of inconsistency going for longer. If we go six months changing your manager twice a season, it's uh, it's not going to get you anywhere at all. Football is based on stability, and it looks to me as if Lee Johnson could be the man to take us and properly propel us into a you know potentially a really good position. So you know, I think that the Johnson outcalls are absolutely fucking ludicrous. The mate, the Lennon shouts as well. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's the same Stubbs, Yogi, and Lennon. It's like, oh, I because Le- Lennon hates Rangers. Let's passion, passion. Oh, he's got loads of let's, passion. Um, let, let's remember Neil Lennon at a point was struggling to get a runny wins together in the championship and did get very lucky for over a six month period. He left us high and dry when he yeah, went. Don't well. get me wrong. I, I, I loved the time that six month period when he got Scott Allen back and it was some of the best football I've ever seen at Easter Road. That was six months. months. I know, but that's my that's my point. It was only a six month period. Uh, Alan Stubbs is never a manager, and the cup win clouds everyone's judgment. So I think there needs to be a bit of realism about where we are as a club. I think the since the defeats running up to Jack Rossi's sacking, because we were on a winless run at that point. I think from then on to where we are now. As a club, we've went backwards quite considerably, and I think Ron Gordon um, or everyone that's in charge at the club have tried their absolute best to get us back to slowly back to where we need to be. But I think a lot of the damage has has been done uh, with previous transfer windows, and I think the upcoming one is probably one of our most important, um, especially with Ryan being out of contract and the amount of players that are bang average that maybe just haven't worked out um, Craig just quickly touching on your point about the fact that we've signed so many players only two of them are in the squad I think it just goes to show that they've maybe tried to sign a number of players youth products or not or young players in the hope that they're better than what we've got and then it's maybe just not quite worked out well, they've, they've had so to revert back, back to the players that have got the, the, that are used to the league as well so yeah. I think it maybe plays a part Aye, thanks again for providing a short answer, mate. I really, really, really appreciate that. I know, Sean. Come on, I've got yeah. work in the morning. I got my stick here. Jesus. <laughs> well, you're right, though. Like, I, I put it in the chat before we came on. I've done a wee, I've done a wee dig 
uh, out of the 15 signings that we've made, the average age is 24.6, which actually looks all right. Now, when you realise that that is heavily skewed by the fact that David Marshall is 37 years old and Aidan McGeady is 36 years old, you take them out, it's 22 years old as the average age of the players that we've signed. I didn't realise Will Fish was only 19. Um, I suppose you could say that at the higher end of the paper round. It's uh, Martin Boyle, 29 as well, kind of skews it as well. It'd be interesting but to find out how many first-team appearances all these guys have made as well. Because the yeah. majority of the people, as far as I can remember anyway, the majority of things we made were academy products that hadn't actually, they were B-team players and they hadn't made senior debuts. Now, are that's all tra- well good building for the future, but... Are right. you trying to tell me that you didn't spend your Saturdays watching the Gambian match of the day for Mamadou Bojang? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. The best part of the show, our favourite part of the show, as always, is the listener questions. Now it's time to answer the Hibs Ramble listener questions. And first one comes in from, I'd probably say the number one rambler at the moment, John McIntosh. Uh, he was right in the button, quarter to nine. I don't know if the game had very long finished. Um, his question is, when will the pain stop? <laughs> um, uh, never. Who knows if it's a foreign house? Um, we've also got the aptly named um, uh, at Johnson out one. You're having a laugh. Um, at Johnson out one uh, with the name also Lee Johnson out with um, that. Leaving <laughs> <laughs> a capital in there. Jeez, Must be a Hearts fan, surely. Can we, can we discuss Lee Johnson departing Easter Road? Yeah, right now, yeah, we can. He has to go. I'm sorry, Hibs Rambo. Shut Fuck up, his man, sir. Shut the hell up. Yeah, Mark, to be fair, just saying, because you mentioned that it was probably a Hearts fan, as soon as the final whistle had went on my TV, so that must have been like a minute behind when it actually went, there was a Twitter account that replied to our tweet about the squad, and it was a Hearts fan. And all these replies are just all about Hibs. Honestly, embarrassing. Sure. He's probably listening to this right now. Um, Keith Robertson's asking us down the slope, uh, Long Bangers and the uh, Strong Opinion Boys, when are you all due for your next Zoom call with the Hibernian FC board? Well, we've not actually been on one yet. Um, I have. Be honoured. I've been on one with Ron Gordon um, a couple of times. Not that I'm bragging. <laughs> yeah. He was at Lee Johnson's press conference but as well, but if you didn't I know. I think on that, right, we're not we're not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you what it is, but we've got something very, very special lined up. Very special. Something that should put a smile back on a lot of your faces. Um, and unfortunately, it's no news on the calendar yet. <laughs> um Mike, so there's not much a question. Uh, Michael is asking if Kevin is still stalking us. I've not seen him since uh, the under-19s game. Um, Sean won't have seen him because obviously he doesn't really go to games. He's doing a good job then. If I've yeah. seen him. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Uh, John has also said to us again uh, when Liam said about nipping it in the bud, sack the board before the manager, in my opinion. Everyone's obsession with sacking people, man. It's unbelievable. <laughs> we, only, we only hear the board members' names when we're getting beat. Wasn't that when we had won four on a bounce? And it's unbelievable. As soon as we lose a game, sack everyone. Sack Keep them the board. all. Keep the board. Right. The, the issue is we can't sack the guy that owns us. That's 
We can't just, deal with that. It's like, why do you want to sack everyone, man? <laughs> just leave them alone. But we will, during the World Cup break, we will have a few pods coming out, and one of them will be looking at the season so far. Um, and an overall look at where we are as a club. So, aye, we'll we'll come back to that one for you, John. John again. John, he has rambled aft. I love this. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, start, he starts with size. What's for dinner? <laughs> I was waiting for this. I'm having the chicken fajitas tonight. I had them at crispy at four o'clock. I don't know if that counts. Are you having something after yeah. recording? Look at the size of me, mate. I look like I'm going to have that for the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. Another McCrispy, maybe? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Never know. Yeah, what's, what's cooking up in the the Corrigan tumble dryer of the night? Uh, uh, steak pie, chips and some green beans. Where's the steak pie from? Uh, it's from Aldi, unfortunately. Oh. One of the, it's one of the big... Big ones with the big crust on the top. Oh, big people on the Berger Act. I'm excited for it. I'm absolutely got a throb. I'm just thinking it. That's a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> There's <before> that clip. <laughs> oh, that, that should be the caption. What does Sean have a throbber about tonight? <laughs> <laughs> just throbbing a thing about, I don't know, children. And we can clip the children, but and piece it together. <laughs> Mark, what are you having? Well, my good lady wife is out for dinner with her father at Tony Macaroni's, so she is bringing me home some pasta. That is, that is the extent of my dinner. Probably cold. Oh, See, you, you reeled me in a game when you went, I've been waiting for this for John. I was thinking, Mark's going to produce the goods and he's... Oh just... no, I was just waiting for it because I know he always asks it every week. But no, no, nothing special, just pasta from Tony Macaroni. Again, John, like we ask you every week, tell us what you're having. And he never ever tells us. Yeah, yeah preferably, prefer- we want to see some photos this time. Of your tea, John. Of your tea. We don't want to see photos of anything else. I'm, I'm going to harass him. I'm going to harass him for pictures of his dinner. Don't, don't ask us ever again if you're not going to share what you're having, John. Yeah. Uh, Fergus is asking, if we lose to Kelly on Saturday, is it time for Johnson to pack his bags or do we give him more time? I'm going to just answer this. I'm not coming to anyone. No, we don't pack his bags. I think he will be packing his bags. He'll maybe go away for a wee holiday or something. World Cup Going to England at the Qatar. Do you want to know, right? I'll give you two reasons why I don't want Johnson to get sacked. One, it's not his fault. Two, I don't trust who would pick his replacement. He's just a nice wee man as well. Um, Derek Mattison says it's Ron Gordon that needs to go, clueless on the football side of things. Again, we'll keep that for another pod. Um, I, I will just add the caveat that you cannot sack an owner. Um, <laughs> if we decide to sack the owner, uh, we will die. The so, guys that say Ron Gordon out have obviously never been to Albion Bar because Albion Bar is absolutely phenomenal and that's Ron Gordon's fault. <laughs> That is Ron Gordon's doing. So, if you think Ron Gordon should go, I'll I'll bring you along to Albion Bar and then you'll be his biggest fan, trust me. Ron Gordon Mark in. loves the Albion, man. Ron Gordon in. Ron Gordon in. Well, it's funny, because I put a tweet out last night and it seems as if it could be directly aimed at you, Mark. Um, oh, we'll, 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 we'll come back to that. Um, Thomas Mercer, 70. Oh, he had Merck 67 in his thing, so I thought he could have been on... 
an interloper, but he's not. Uh, let's get some honesty then. Whose players are they? LJ or the recruitment department? That's one of the problems here. Some of the players aren't good enough and can't handle the expectations here. I think you've mentioned that already, Mark, that we've signed players, have they really played competitive first-team football? Like, it's offline and well-playing reserves and and all of that, but... Definitely People do realise that Johnson came out and did confirm that he does get the final say on the players before they're signed, right? And yep. Ron Gordon's also came out and said that his son only signs the checks and doesn't actually pick the players. I think there was a lot of deals done before Johnson came in, though. Johnson's not going to come out in the summer and go, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, by the way, see the guy that most of the Hibs fans didn't like because he's the owner's son and all he does is sell wine. Like, he's he's the one who really looks for the players and I just say if I fancy them or not. Come on, come on, Sean, you're, you're no naive. Uh, so. uh, I'm not having any of this Ian Gordon pish. He does not have the final... He doesn't pick the players. But it's been not the same transfer it. policy over the course of the last three managers, though. It seems to be young inexperienced B-team players, but that's not just been under Lee Johnson, that's been under Jack Ross. Uh, so there's a recruitment team of six bodies. Right, but who heads Aye. that? Ian Gordon's there to negotiate the deal. I'm so not saying it's a decision. He doesn't I'm find the actual players. And so if, you, if, if he's actually think that, then he's need a wake-up. Ian Gordon's the head of recruitment. Players. Are you pal Ian Gordon or something, man? But he's not. No, it just pisses me off. It, it really, really grinds my gears. Because we've got a recruitment team of six bodies. Five of them are the ones that find the players. It's Ian's Ron Gordon fault, negotiates Sean. the deals. Like. Sean, it's all Ian's fault. This is silence, Sean. <laughs> um, I've got my own opinion on that. And I've got facts to back it up as well. So we'll leave that again for a mid-season review, which we will not do in person for... Uh, Sean being feared that I'll rip his head off if he tries to interrupt me and say that it's no Ian Gordon's fault ever again. He'll rip your head off. Keep to know your facts, though, because it'll be good to compare them to mine. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, oh, my God. Our, our reactions to last night over the top, i.e. Johnson must be sacked. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yes, they're over the top. Oh, hold on. Because for me, they are. He needs time, in my opinion, and managers don't get enough time as it is. And, we know, and as we know, for example, Maloney. Um, Who said that? Uh, Lewis Connor. Maloney, Lewis Connor, uh, well done. He's got his heat screwed on. Maloney was a weird one because you could just see for the outs, like you could see that just wasn't going anywhere. Um, but no, I, I think. Know, we, I bought into Maloney at the start. Fucking loved Sean Maloney. <laughs> I went to a QA with him and I actually left that QA thinking genuinely he was the man to take us forward. I felt it when he got appointed. I was. Remember, we were all excited for the winter break because we were going to get Maloney ball. On the training park, <laughs> fucking two weeks, and we've got to come back and be play like Belgium. Like, uh, also, do you guys think we can get any sort of positive result versus Kelly? Um, at the moment, no. Nah, no. not on that horrible pitch. A draw written all over it in my eyes. I think we'll beat them four <laughs> 0 Yeah. Uh, Mark Brown is asking: Do we stick or twist? Had a lot of chopping and changing managers in the last few years. Do we suffer for a season or two? To gamble that LG comes good stability. Yep. I don't think it's really a suffering, really, is it? I'm not going to get relegated. Plus, um, it's like we're not even halfway through the season yet. Like, and we're, we're, I know we're only sixth place, but it's not like we're, it's a disaster already. Nah. Yeah, like, we're still a couple of points off third. Like, there's so many, so many reactionary people out there. Um, it's the same folk that are saying that we 
you know, Ron Gordon would see what happens come the summer when the stands are empty, yet we somehow manage, well, I suppose the stands are still empty, but we somehow managed to still sell over 11,000 season tickets, despite being told that we wouldn't sell anywhere near that. It's the same people greeting that Johnson needs to go and, aye, that's, um, I think the, the next ones are just more comments about how, you know, do we look at recruitment? What's the recruitment policy? Who's actually in charge? Does it come down to the Gordons, etc.? Let's not go. Let's not go into that again. I don't. I don't want Sean. Uh, I don't want Sean to burst a blood vessel, so we'll not go into that. <laughs> Billy at King of the North is asking: Is recruitment the issue? Yes, big time, majorly. Yeah. I think it is an issue. <laughs> um, Jeff is asking: I watched, listened to various players from the 2016 team talk about the dressing room and how it was the best they've been a part of. The impression I get is that the current one is nowhere near that. How do we fix it? Paintballing, where it's the players against LJ. That would be very Shan. Could you imagine? <laughs> so Shan. <laughs> could you imagine Miko standing over LJ with a fucking paintball rifle ready to blow his brains out? Like, Oh my God. Paintball, the players versus LJ. That's a belter. I uh, think, I think, see, for the dressing room comments there, I think... Obviously, we don't know what goes on and how it compares. I think the you know that 2016 Cup winning team is an anomaly because you know you get people still talking about it now. I think this is just a normal dressing room, really. I think, I think players would say something similar if we had won one of the many chances to win a cup under Jack Ross. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just because it was a, a winning team that, that won something and then they happened to win the league the season after as well. Fond memories, isn't it? Yeah. I, do think yeah. it's, I do think it is all part of, like, when you look at the club now, like, there's so many players for different cultures. Um, and one thing I did notice last night was that they all seemed to warm up in their own wee groups. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's... Um, the thing is, though, when they talk about that dressing room culture, four of the defence that played that day were either on the park or in the dugout last night. One of them being the captain. Do you know what I mean? So it's... I don't know how you go about fixing that. Um, the last one comes for Callum, who's asking, I personally want Johnson to get more time, but that aside, does it matter who the manager is with the current setup at the club? No, for yeah. me. It doesn't. I think it does. I uh, think it does. Well, I think, you know, a manager's always got to stamp his, his authority, not his authority, like his philosophy. Yeah, no, but sorry, uh, what? Do you not think, Callum's saying that the setup, like behind the scenes, like off the field at the club, like would it matter not, who's in charge if the way the club's being run at the moment off the It pack? would, but I think the club's been run all right. I think, yeah, I think. I so. think Fair commercial Fair perspective, I don't think you can disagree. Like commercially, like you're saying about the hospitality and that, unbelievable. But they're pumping a lot of money, and it's fair enough. Look, don't get me wrong, the players that we've signed aren't great, but at the same time, he's he's splashing the cash on big wages. Do you know what I mean? He's he's signing players on big wages. Fair enough, it's not been the right players in some circumstances, but you can't really blame Ron Gordon. You're for not going to get them all. Right. The one with the check. No, but to blame the head of recruitment, whoever he is, because it's definitely no Ian Gordon. <laughs> John's going to cry. Leave to him be alone. fair, I didn't say he wasn't the head. So, so and he leads it then. I said he is the head. He yeah. signs the checks. The head, the head signs everyone off. But aye, Craig, we'll not get into that. Aye? 
the one you get upset and bring your facts into it. <laughs> my facts are facts and your facts are lies. Oh, oh my goodness, I, gracious I, me. I don't even know where the fuck goodness. that came from. But anyway, um, we'll wrap it up this week. To finish this mid-season break on a high, we'll have not <laughs> one but two two Premiership reviews for Liam because he's going to review the Pataudry pie and the Kelly pie. Um, we've just not got time for it this week. Yes, I will. I'll do both next week. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, I think we can. I can we can that. About that. After after me and Sean have traded addresses and had a wee square go. <laughs> um, so I videos finding. Bye. Thanks for listening. Uh, keep listening, subscribing, liking Twitter. Uh, Twitter account at the Hibdramble, Facebook and Instagram as well. We're also on YouTube where you can see the four of us looking absolutely stunning. Um, not in crystal clear HD, but as it's as good as Skype will do. Uh, it's as good as Skype will allow us to do. Um, bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on... When are we going to be back? Is it Monday? Mm, next. Aye. Monday or yeah. Tuesday. Sorry, we've not really la- done much of a Kelly preview, but we're just... I think we're all just fed up of talking about Hibs and it's fucking draining the life out of us. So. Well, I'll I'll give you a score prediction. Nil-nil. No, we'll get the predictions out on Saturday for the pre-match tweet, mate. You know that already. 1-1. One, 4-0. One. No. No. No, no. Right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Cheers. Love you. Bye. Bye.